Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. Hello, and welcome to Plant School. Today, we're going to be going over how to care for begonias and not just how to care for them. We're going to go over, you know, all our usual stuff, where they came from, what do they mean, what is a begonia, all that good stuff. This was actually a suggestion from someone on Instagram, Merit. So Merit, thank you for suggesting this. I always love hearing your guys' suggestions for plant school episodes and though it may take me a few weeks to get to them, I always write them down and really try to get to them all. So number one question is, what is a begonia? So it is a flowering plant from the Begoniaceae family. A lot of them have unusual leaf shapes and really pretty blooms. There's over a thousand species and there's many more varieties and hybrids. That's a lot of species. I feel like usually when I cover a houseplant, there's about a dozen or less than 20, somewhere around there, maybe 50, but a thousand is a substantial amount. So as you can imagine, this is actually one of the 10 largest genera among flowering plants. So a huge group of flowering plants, right? And there's three major categories with begonias, including rhizomatous, which are your rex begonias. There's ones that have fibrous roots. Those are your wax begonias. And there's tuberous roots. So just like a quick description of each of those root types in case you're unfamiliar. Rhizomatous. So those include plants like gingers, bamboos, snake plants spread via rhizomes, venus flytraps. There are a ton of plants that have rhizomatous root systems. And it's basically like these underground stems that allow the plants to spread. Fibrous rooted, your wax begonias, those are just how they sound. If you imagine like you pull up a clump of grass and it has all those tiny roots, that is what fibrous roots are. And then the tuberous rooting begonias, tubers are very large roots, very similar to potato. Well, a a potato is a tuber. So think of a potato and that is what a tuberous root is. So those are the three types of begonias, the three major categories of them. So if I were you and you have a begonia that you have, I would figure out what kind you have out of those three. If it's rhizomatous, fibrous rooted, tuberous rooted. And the reason why I say this is because tuberous begonias, they can have a harder time surviving in a home due to the need of like higher humidity and more light. If you don't have a way to figure out what plant you have, you can, you know, go to like a Facebook group and ask. You can go to Reddit and ask, or you can ask me. That's always fun. And I 
most often will use this app called the Smart Home app, and I'll include a link in the show notes if you want to download it. But that app is really handy for identifying plants and getting a really succinct answer. They actually have experts on there that will like chat with you and let you know what plant you have. I have used it multiple times, and I know this sounds silly. Like, I I studied botany in college. I should know all the plants, right? I don't. I don't. And this app, the Smart Home app, actually really helps me with that. So back to begonias. Some of them are grown for their beautiful foliage, and others are grown for their flowers, just depending on the variety or species that you have. So the flowering varieties, they have flowers the shade of crimson. There are some that are a more silver color, purple, green, red, and begonias, they have a male and female flower on a single plant. A begonia has the potential to self-pollinate if there are pollinators visiting each of their flowers on the plant. And it's also good to know that begonias are like an outdoor plant. People will use them as a perennial Perennial meaning it comes back every single year. You can do this in planting zones 9 through 11. So those are pretty warm planting zones. I know my zone is like a 6B, somewhere around there. So it's pretty cold. And so I know that begonias will not survive here, at least as a perennial. They could probably survive the summer if it's like in the shade, but it's not going to come back every year. So if you're in zone 9 through 11, you could grow begonias in your yard. But it's most commonly used as an annual or it is grown as a houseplant inside, which is what we are focusing on today. So the next thing I love to go over is asking, does this plant, does a begonia carry any symbolism with it? Does it have meaning? So I looked in my book, it's called, I have it here with me so I can look at it, but it's the complete language of flowers and it's like a really, it's a really beautiful book. It's illustrated and it was compiled by S. Teresa Dietz. So if you're interested in it, it's a good book. Anyways, I looked up the begonia in it and it actually had quite a few symbolic meanings. They were a little bit all over the place. So here's some of the meanings. There's fanciful nature. It can mean that. It can mean balance, beware, deformed. Deformity can mean goodness or a forewarning or sending a warning, kind of the same thing. And if I pull it up, because there was another begonia listed that I didn't write down. So it was the Begonia tuber hybrida, and I'm not familiar with this exact species of a Begonia, but this one means be careful, cautiousness, danger, peaceful friendship, twice as good. And there's like a little folklore section, and it says that it could be used to encourage like potentially heated communications between parties to be calm and peaceful. Who in the world is actually doing this stuff besides me like occasionally I will pick flowers look up their meaning or I'll find one with a certain meaning I want and I'll give it to my husband and then tell him what page to look on because you know you got to give the guy a clue but like that's just me I don't know (laughs) if anyone else is doing this sending messages to people with flowers but it sounds fun right so I don't know you can use a begonia if you need to uh, send that message to anyone So we're going to take a quick break before we dive into my favorite question, which is, what is the history of this houseplant? And we're going to hear from one of today's podcast sponsors. 
I want to tell you guys about an amazing podcast called the Tending Seeds Podcast. It's hosted by Sarah Schuster, and on her podcast, she has these great, fun, and informative episodes that talk about gardening, homesteading, herbalism, definitely things that I would listen to and here at Plant School, I'm sure you guys would be interested in as well. She not only shares her own experiences, but she also interviews different guests relating to those three topics of gardening, homesteading, and herbalism. You can find her podcast. It's called Tending Seeds and it's available on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so what is the history of the begonia plant getting into our homes as a houseplant? When I was researching this one, there was so much good stuff. And a large part of it is because begonias actually have a huge medicinal history, like being used as a medicine. So we're going to dive into all of that because it, it's really interesting. And I hope you guys like this. So the begonia is native to a lot of tropical areas in Central, South America, in Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and most of them like to be in the cool, damp, tropical rainforest. Some have adapted to some drier climates, like in probably the Sub-Saharan Africa, and a lot of people think that they originated in Brazil because they were found there in 1690, but the thing is, we have records showing the flowers being used in Mexico so much earlier than 1690. And we have records showing that it was being used by the Chinese people in the 14th century, like almost 300 years earlier. But back in 1690, when it was first like documented, it was our friend Charles Plumier who documented it. And if you're like, uh, Rachel, I, I have no idea who that guy is. Why are you calling him our friend? He is the guy who also documented Monsteras. I think I went on a whole tangent of how Plumier sounds like the name from the guy off of the Beauty and the Beast. If you remember that, that's where he's from. He discovered Monsteras and documented it. And now he's over here discovering begonias in Brazil. So just to jog our memories, Charles was a Franciscan monk who was looking for plants to be used for medicinal purposes. And he actually named the begonia, a begonia, after his favorite botanist at the time, and his name was Michael Bigon. And Plumier, he died shortly after discovering the begonia, so it was discovered in 1690, and he died in 1704, so just 14 short years later. So the document of its discovery was actually kind of lost, and it wasn't published until the 1800s. So about a hundred years after his death. But going into Charles looking for medicinal plants, this plant had been used as medicine for a long time and as a food for a long time. 
In China, they would eat the leaves and the flowers. They would eat them raw or cooked, either one. So, of course, I had to look it up. Like, what types of begonias can you be eating? Because this sounds cool. Not all of them can be eaten. So, don't go like munching on your begonia as I say this. There's about 15 species or so that can be eaten. I didn't write all 15 down. I didn't think that would be fun to like name off 15 species of begonias. But yeah, these begonias, they would eat the flowers, the stems, and the leaves, and the blossoms are known to have like the citrusy sour taste, and the petals are used in salads or as a garnish, and the stems can be used in place of rhubarb. They're actually very high in vitamin C and were used to prevent scurvy at the time. Scurvy is simply a disease caused by a deficiency of vitamin C, so Symptoms of this would be like swollen and bleeding gums and opening of previously healed wounds. This particularly affected sailors at the time because they often did not get enough vitamin C. There wasn't a whole lot of nutrition to a sailor's diet. Little did they know they could have been keeping begonias as not a house plant, a boat plant, and they could have been eating it and could have gotten vitamin C from it. And just as a note, the flowers do have oxalic acid, which is recommended to be avoided by people who suffer with like kidney stones or gout or rheumatism because it can often flare up those problems. So the begonia was used as an herb and maybe still is in Japan, India, Indonesia, and Myanmar. And in Indonesia, they use it as a sauce for meat and their fish. In China and Brazil and Indonesia, they use it as a salad. And in the Philippines and Brazil, they use it as a flavoring agent, so kind of like a spice. And in northern Mexico and China, they eat it as a wild snack. Some rural people will actually use the sap from it to help curdle their milk to make cheese. So many different ways that this plant was used for food all over the world. And moving on from like the culinary side back to the more medicinal side, they have been used again in soups in Paraguay, but to treat sore throats. And the begonia malabaraca, that's a specific type of begonia, can actually affect your glucose levels, and they have been shown to help with diabetic rats. So it hasn't been used in humans yet, but there is ongoing research right now that it may be able to help with diabetes, which is really cool. A lot of our modern medicines stem from plants and the medicinal uses of plants. Not all of them, but there are a few. And so it's just really cool that the begonia, you can kind of see its potential and hopefully one day it could be used maybe on a more larger scale to help people with diabetes or something. In the West Indies, they use begonia leaves to treat colds, and the sap has been used on wounds, on your gums. The sap has also been used for toothaches, for coughs, consumption, and fever. So a lot of different uses for just the sap. The shoots of the begonia have been used to treat upset stomach. So this is like by ingesting it, and it has been used to treat enlarged spleens. In general, the begonia has been proven to have antibacterial elements to it and also have anti-tumor activity. So again, maybe some more research could be done to perhaps treat tumors. And in the West Indies, 
they still use it as a way to treat cancer, which is really cool. So it's still something that is being used today, more so in more rural countries, but it seems like this plant holds so much possibility in the medicinal realm of things. Also maybe in the culinary realm. I'm in no way suggesting you like go and eat a begonia, but if you are into that and if you like have a professional maybe helping you or something because I don't want anyone getting sick, I would say go for it if you know what you're doing. And so taking a step away from all that, that fun medicinal and culinary use, the begonia had moved into Japan in 1641 and become quite popular. And by 1777, they had made it to England. So it had been years after its documentation by Charles Plumier in 1690. It took a while to get over to England, but by 1847, there were about 70 to 80 species that were growing in Europe, so they were moving across the world. And by 1850, they made their way to America, and they really took off after World War One. So this plant took a while to kind of jump into its popular phase from the time that it was discovered. But I'm so glad they're around because there are so many, so many beautiful begonias. So it's no secret that like they're kind of seen as a more traditional houseplant. A lot of people maybe, I don't know, like 30, 40 years ago may have seen this as like an old-fashioned grandma plant because they were very popular in the 70s. But they have started to turn a new leaf pun intended, and they have increased in their popularity. So after doing some research, it sounds like the early 2000s are when it kind of started to come back and take off. And this was largely due to better breeding. So in 2011, this new variety of begonia hit the market. It was called escargot, and it was the first one to come onto the market that like really started a craze. Everyone was very excited about it because it was beautiful. And so it's kind of just taken off from there. There are so many different varieties and because people can manipulate begonias and breed them into these really beautiful plants that are really desirable, they have just continued in their popularity. I would be so bold as to say that they are no longer seen as a old-fashioned grandma plant. So by and far, the wax begonia is the most popular and In the U.S. alone, about 60 million of them sell every year. That is a lot of begonias. And this is just the wax begonia. I'm sure if you rounded up every single type, it would be so much more than 60 million. But still, just the wax begonia selling as it is in the U.S. makes about 60 million. And that wraps up the portion of the history of the begonia. So moving on to how to care for a begonia. So if you have one, if you're wanting to get one, this is how to keep it alive, how to help it thrive in your home. So first question, where do you place it in your home? You want to keep it in an area that has a fairly consistent temperature around like 64 to 70 degrees. It's kind of like the average temperature that you would find in a typical home. That's 18 to 21 degrees Celsius. You don't really want it 
any hotter than that. Hot temperatures can actually cause leaves to fall off and it can also cause powdery mildew to take off. Powdery mildew is a fungus. It looks like a powder-like substance is growing on the leaves. It's caused by an opportunistic fungi. The spores are in the air and if they land on your plant on its leaves and the conditions are right, they can really thrive in those warm and damp situations. And if you do have that, if you're struggling with powdery mildew, simply remove off the affected leaves and treat the plant with a fungicide. Fungicides that work against powdery mildew are things like mycobutanil, pinconazole, flutriafoil, or you can lightly dust the leaves with sulfur powder. Any of those will work great against powdery mildew. And then on the flip side, don't let your begonia get too cold. They don't really like temperatures below 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 13 degrees Celsius. They do prefer bright indirect sunlight. So direct sun can cause leaf burn, which that's like brown papery splotches on your leaves. That's what leaf burn looks like. So be sure to keep it out of direct sun. Like a little bit is fine, but a lot of direct sun can cause leaf burn. Another note to take when you're placing it in your home is you want to be turning the plant pretty regularly or it will start to grow lopsided towards the sun. A lot of plants do that so that's pretty standard to be turning it so that it doesn't grow lopsided and begonias are known to do well with artificial light provided especially during those short days of your winter season. And if you notice that your begonia is getting too leggy, like there's a lot of space between leaves and it's just looking scraggly, it's basically stretching, trying to get more sun, and it needs a sunnier spot. Too little sun can also cause the leaves to go yellow. So if you notice it getting leggy or leaves are starting to go yellow, consider that maybe it needs some more sunshine. Older begonias can also just get leggy naturally and you may need to prune them back so that it can have that more full, thick growth. And one last tip when placing it in your home, having good ventilation is really nice. If it's just like a stale room, there's no fans, there's no air movement or anything going on, maybe it's like in a greenhouse, just know that if it doesn't have good ventilation and air moving, that it is more likely for it to deal with powdery mildew and gray mold. Having air movement will really keep those things from taking off. And I've been talking for a while, so we're going to take one more break for another podcast sponsor for today's episode, and then we're going to jump right back in to how to care for your begonia. I have another great podcast to share with you guys from our podcast sponsor today. The podcast name is Time to Talk, the podcast with Lewis and Reese. Basically, this is a podcast where best friends, Lewis and Reese, discuss a number of topics, they give a number of opinions, and they get across their own point of view. It's one of those podcasts that are kind of relaxing and chill. You kind of just feel like you are sitting and talking with your friends. It's a great podcast and it's available anywhere where you get your podcasts, including YouTube. So if you're interested in following along and listening or subscribing to them on YouTube, you can look them up. It's called Time to Talk, the podcast with Lewis and Reese. You can start listening now and find the link to their show in the notes of this episode. 
Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. And jumping right back into how to care for your begonia, how do you water a begonia? And this is where most problems arise. So begonias, from my research, are fairly easy plants, except when it comes to watering. So maybe they aren't easy, because watering is huge, right? So if you have one, or if you're wanting to get one, listen up, because this is definitely where most of them can die or have problems. You want to water when the top one to two inches of the soil are dry. Not when it's like completely bone dry. That's not good. Just when those top two inches, one or two inches are dry. If it gets too dried out, it can develop powdery mildew, right? When it's hot and dry, that's a recipe for powdery mildew. A lot of people recommend bottom watering begonias because it can avoid water accumulating at the base of the stems and causing rot. So if you're watering from the top and you happen to like get the leaves all wet, that can actually cause the water to just sit in the little crevices of the plant and cause rot. So a lot of people just bottom water to avoid that problem. So if that's something you want to do, you're welcome to it. If you decide to top water, just be sure not to get the leaves wet and simply water the soil. Overwatering can cause leaves to completely fall off. Underwatering can cause the leaves to turn yellow. Overwatering is definitely the most common cause for this plant dying because they don't want to be bone dry, but you also don't want to give them too much water. You're probably rolling your eyes like, oh my gosh, this plant sounds so temperamental. But I think once you get the hang of it, it really is not that bad. They do appreciate humidity. So if you use something like a pebble tray, which is literally just a tray or dish filled with pebbles, marbles, something of the sort, and a little bit of water, that's what a pebble tray is. So you can use that underneath your plant or you can use a actual humidifier. Those are best. Misting is not recommended because it's really not effective and misting can like increase the humidity I think for like a few seconds but also because with the begonia that water sitting on the leaves can cause different fungal problems like powdery mildew. So please do not mist it. Use a pebble tray, use a humidifier. Rex begonias and tuberous begonias need higher levels of humidity more so than other types. You may think that like putting it in your bathroom would be a good idea because a lot of people like ferns, like they love bathrooms, getting water on them, not a big deal. But for begonias, bathrooms are always a great idea because if you do happen to get them physically wet from the mist or from splashing of your shower, it can cause those fungal problems. So again, probably no showers, probably no misting like spraying your plant. But once you have that down, once you are consistently keeping your begonia watered, whether from the top or the bottom, and you are doing so when the top one to two inches are dry, and you're not underwatering or overwatering, and you're using some sort of humidifier or pebble tray, your begonia should be pretty easy to care for. Once you get watering down, a lot of the other problems kind of just like 
melt away. So what soil is best for begonias? They like soil that has good drainage so you can get like normal houseplant soil from your hardware store and you can add perlite or you can add sand yourself or you can buy like a succulent soil mix simply because succulent soil mixes have great drainage for those cactuses or other succulents that are growing in it and if you go the other way and add perlite or sand into a normal houseplant soil mix that just increases the drainage and airflow in your soil mix. If you're wondering if you should repot your begonia you want to choose a pot that is only one to two inches bigger. A really big pot can actually cause the extra soil to just sit and be wet and hold too much water and that will not allow the begonia to properly grow. Like I said, watering is a huge issue for this plant so do not go to a huge pot. They actually do prefer to be a little bit root bound. Now, we don't run into very many houseplants that like really love to be root bound. Usually, you want to be repotting them pretty frequently, but this one is fine. You can actually repot it maybe like every few years, and it's usually more so just to like refresh the soil, not because they've outgrown their pot, just because they need new nutrients in that fresh new soil. Moving on to how to fertilize your begonia, you want to do so when they are blooming or when they are actively growing and you want to fertilize them about every other week. They are considered heavy feeders and they are heavy feeders because when you fertilize them actively, they can have bigger leaves and they can have better blooms. So on either side, if it's just a begonia that just has really pretty leaves, you can help those leaves be bigger by fertilizing it. And if it's a begonia that's known for its flowers, they can have better or more flowers if you fertilize the plant regularly. And using a 10-10-10 all-purpose fertilizer or a 15-15-15 all-purpose fertilizer is recommended. Those work great. Just make sure that you are giving it food while it is blooming or actively growing. When it comes to propagation, there's quite a few ways just because like their root systems are different. So for your fibrous rooted begonias, those are your wax begonias, they can be propagated by stem cuttings. So you take a cutting of a stem, you remove off the lower leaves so that you have like three to four inches of stem, bare stem showing, and then you place it in vermiculite. You can place it in sand or you can place it in soil. Any of those work great. And it's best to put a clear covering over it, one that like doesn't touch the leaves because again you don't want those leaves getting some sort of fungal infection and it creates a sort of greenhouse environment. So you could like put a large Tupperware over it or I don't know, a Tupperware is the only thing I can think of right now, but it creates this mini greenhouse. It creates a place where it's moist and can retain all that moisture. In general, it's going to take about three weeks for roots to show up and from there you can place them in soil if it's not already in soil to begin with. And then on the other hand, your rhizomatous begonias, the ones that have those underground stems, which are your rex begonias, they can also be propagated by stem cuttings or leaf cuttings. So you can remove a leaf that has like one or more inches of stem or a stem that has a few leaves and you can put it in moist rooting medium. Again, you can cover it to create that greenhouse-like environment and then the roots and new leaves will start to form at the cut point that you made of that stem cutting. So very similar, the only difference really is that rhizomatous begonias, you can use 
a simple leaf cutting rather than just a stem cutting. When it comes to pests for begonias, sometimes they can get things like aphids, especially if they're outside, not so much inside, but they can get spider mites, white flies, thrips, or mealybugs. And a lot of these pests can be killed with something like neem oil. You can use like a cotton swab with rubbing alcohol and pull off the mealy bugs. Thrips are a little bit harder to get rid of. I would maybe suggest using an insecticide for those. White flies, you can get rid of them by like removing the top few layers of soil and replacing it with new soil. And then I did mention that it is prone to powdery mildew and I explained how to get rid of that earlier but I also mentioned that it is prone to gray mold and that can be a problem and cause your stems to literally rot and die. So to get rid of that I would suggest getting good air ventilation, removing the gray mold, maybe replacing it with new soil and watch your watering practices. You don't want to overwater because mold is a bacteria and loves moist settings. And also good air ventilation will literally cause it to die because it, it needs like a stale, warm environment to grow. Another thing that can happen with begonias is bacterial leaf spots. So if you notice that any leaves are infected, they're going to have like a blister-like spot and you can get rid of this by pulling off those leaves that are infected and discarding them. Just throw them away in the trash. And lastly, just some extra tips to take care of your begonia. You can prune it by removing dead or faded blooms, and this really allows the plant to stay healthy and focused on its growth elsewhere, bringing out more new blooms, if your begonia is a blooming one. And as a note, they are toxic, especially to pets. The tubers are the most toxic part. And like I said, tuberous begonias usually end up outside. So just be sure that if you have a pet that likes to dig or something, keep it out of where they are so they don't dig it up and eat it. They aren't super toxic to humans. They may cause an allergic reaction, but we learned in this podcast how people were putting them in soups as seasonings and all sorts of things. So I think you can see that for the most part, it's not going to affect humans too much. At least most of them will not. Another note is that tuberous begonias, the ones that are normally outdoors, they can go dormant in your home in the fall and will usually start to yellow and die back quite a bit. That is just its seasonal dormancy and will usually come back in the spring. So if it is yellow just on the tips of the leaf, that's probably due to a lack of water or feeding, but if the whole leaf is dying off, that is probably due to dormancy. And another last thing, which is like a little spark of hope to this whole podcast, if you're like, oh my gosh, begonias sound hard, is the fact that begonias are actually really great at bouncing back from the brink of death. They are known for being able to do this. So if you have one and you're scared that either it's going to die, that it's already on that brink of death, or that you're going to kill it and push it to the brink of death, just know that it can come back and be okay. And that is it. That is the history of the begonia. That is how to care for it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope that you will join me next week on Plant School. 
thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.